Well, this is it. It's, I think anxiety disorder is funny, a, a condition that basically can make you think that there is going to be some kind of global disaster about nothing. And then oddly, when there is one, I've been <laughs> I've been quite pragmatic about it. It's almost like the actual disaster that's not created by my own head I can handle. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out. How to do life But it turns out Nobody knows If you are listening to this episode in the very, very distant future, just to set the the scene, this uh this particular episode was recorded at the end of March and we are in the UK, we're a few weeks into lockdown, meaning, uh, oh, and if if that may, means nothing to you, in the distant future, it's a, pa- a pandemic. We, there's a pandemic. Uh, the coronavirus is happening at the moment. We don't know much, and I'm I'm kind of obsessed with the idea that. You might be listening to this in 2021 or 2022 or maybe later than that. And you, it, it, it sort of annoys me that you will know what happened, you know, because you could listen to this and then think, oh my God, you were all overreacting because it ended a few weeks later and everything was fine. Or you could, you know, be in 2025 and, still be in lockdown and everything has changed and the world looks dramatically different. And I guess that's sort of the place I'm in at the moment is not knowing, not having any idea how this is going to pan out. And it could be who, who knows, right? Who knows? And I've heard, I've heard people say, Oh, it'll be over in a few weeks. I've heard people say it'll be over in a few years and no one knows anything. And all we can do is keep talking all we can do is keep communicating i think i don't know if it's tasteless to try and look at the positives in this because i mean there's that was it almost seems disrespectful to the many 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 victims of this but i guess we need some kind of positivity otherwise we would just succumb right to all of this weirdness and if there was any positivity, it would be that I think and I hope that we all come out on the other side of this different. And I believe we'll come out better. I think we will start realizing the importance of community, the importance of each other, the importance of just not being restricted and the the importance of not feeling... I think we'll appreciate what we have, like... I don't know, like my grandparents grew up during the war and my parents grew up during the Cold War, right? So we, my generation and the younger generations, we were the first to not grow up and experience a global sort of threat, right? I mean, this is all set with a lot of ignorance because I don't actually know anything about this. <laughs> I don't know enough. I just have this this feeling of, oh, yeah, we weren't this scared till now of in the same way. And I guess a lot of us have been expecting or fearing that what would be imminent was 
you know, Nazis, which is still also true, unfortunately and horribly. And but there's something so scary about it being a and such a non-human thing. Anyways, I think we all feel a bit powerless and confused and scared. And I felt like it was, you know what, I'm, here's how I'm really lucky. I'm lucky for, well, first of all, I'm lucky that I can keep doing this podcast. And I'm so lucky that you're still, that you're still listening to it. Because having these conversations with these amazing humans over the internet, as we are looking at each other's, uh, at each other through our webcams, and it's actually working really well. I hope the sound is okay for all of you. I you know, I, we try to make it as good as possible, but that it helps to have this community. I mean, this is one of the only times I really speak to other people apart from when I go live on Instagram. So I'm really grateful that I can still podcast because I can't gig and that is painful in another way because I fucking love performing, but I can still have these conversations and I can still put it out and I am so, so, so happy. So thank you for still listening and also thank you for your support. I mean, I can't keep I can't keep doing these emotional speeches, although that's all I want to do is just thank you so much for your support. And uh, yeah, I hope you know how much it means. It's life-saving, life-changing. I am the most grateful and humbled person you'll... Thank you. And in that same vein, uh, what is really keeping me sane at the moment is I am... I have a few boxes full of my book, right? Happy Fat, the book about why it's okay to be fat. I also have a lot of big envelopes and I have a lot of uh, download code shows that I used to sell on my tour and I have some postcards with my face on it. So I, I have collected these, um, all of these things and I put them into an envelope and I write handwritten messages and I sign the books for the people who buy. As I call it a self-isolation care package. By the time you listen to this, maybe there's more left. Maybe there's more left. Go to sophiehagen.com forward slash care. Um, maybe I'll probably do more. I'll put more on sale. So keep your eyes out, I guess. It's keeping me sane because it's repetitive work. It's work I do with my hands. And it's just so satisfying to cross off a name on the list. And it's nice to be creative. I put stickers on the little notes and people request me to draw them things so I look up how to draw all these different kinds of animals and it's just being creative and working with your hands and doing something that will hopefully make someone happy and then and then also at the same time being able to pay <laughs> pay my rent <laughs> so that's how I'm keeping sane I've also painted my entire I say my entire it's a tiny place but like my little studio flat and uh I found some garden tools, so if the sun comes back, I'm going to try and, you know, enter my the garden I share with my neighbor to see if I can make it a place that I can go into and still be social distancing. Maybe this is the right time for me to ask my neighbor if we can please just somehow divide the garden in right into the middle so that we don't have to... So it, that's the only reason I've not ever been in there is because she does laundry all the time like all the time she put laundry out in the to dry in like december i don't know what's happening like her what who does that much laundry all the time how anyway it's not the point so that those are my i mean 
I, this is a long intro, but like we have nothing but time, right? We have nothing but time. So, but I will just, uh, I'll stop now. <laughs> I, uh, I will let you listen to this episode. I have known about uh, Sean Fay for many years, I think, and I've tried to get her on also for many years. And it's finally happened. And all it took was for a global pandemic to, um, to finally bring us together. And she's just a wonderful person. I'm not, I don't need to say much else because uh, you will just, yeah, you'll enjoy her. And just a, a reminder, and this is not particularly about um, Sean uh, or her episode, but in general, just a little reminder that there are trigger warnings in the episode description. Just, I, I just know that there are some episodes coming up where there are quite, um, there are some triggers in them that might affect you. So just a reminder that that exists. Now I will uh, let you listen to this chat that I had with the incredible and wonderful Sean Fay. It's a shame that we don't get to meet in person, but like that is the that is our lives now. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 necessary, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 completely bizarre as well that we uh, uh, we'll probably end up talking about like, the trouble is every conversation. I had therapy the other day, and I don't know, like I felt really like I had to say to my therapist, I feel really like childish talking about anything that isn't the epidemic. Do you know what I mean? Like it's oh. <laughs> Because well, I'm, I'm already recording, so can I? Just, can we just start talking about that? Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you mean you feel childish not talking about it? Well, it was because I was just I was talking about some, you know, like other stuff that had come from previous sessions about stuff that's been going on in my life, and you know, like I went through a breakup a couple of months ago, and like I've been doing the sort of post breakup phase, and I was talking about that, and I was like, I feel really this feels trivial. Um, and obviously a therapist, they don't tell you it's not, they kind of just, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of what you want. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was strange because I, you know, I, well, I think it's because I'm very fortunate. That's what I keep saying to people at the moment is when people are, I hope you're doing okay. And of course I'm anxious like everyone is, but I don't have any older relatives really. And I don't have anyone with an underlying health condition and, my work is okay and a lot of my friends isn't and um and a lot of actually it's interesting with this podcast because a a lot of the people that I mean have been on this podcast and like Mm -hmm. um a lot lot of mutual friends um that are doing performance um uh you know are really struggling and I'm kind of like okay at the moment and yeah so it just you know I've got all those essentials in place it makes me feel a bit like complaining too much about um yeah my own stuff feel yeah it just felt felt very trivial yeah I feel I've I feel lucky in that part of what my OCD does is that it makes me hoard things (laughs) and it makes me want to stay inside so I'm this is such a this is my this is my norm right yeah (laughs) and in December I told my therapist I said oh I wish I could just have like two or three months of just doing nothing and just staying in my house. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's strange because, yeah, I, I feel like I've had a bit of a dry run for it. So at the moment, I am locked down in Bristol with my um, my mother and my brother and sister. And it's the four of us. That's our family unit. And we're all three of us are adults. She's got all adult children at home. 
But um, I've kind of had prep for that because I moved back in five years ago um, when I was, I'd been living in London and I had a very serious breakdown uh, and I, I was working as a lawyer, which was many, th- you know, I hadn't come out as trans yet. I was working as a lawyer in the city. It was a horrible job. I worked endless hours and I had a really serious breakdown and I moved home because I really just couldn't function. And all of my friends were still in London. Even though I grew up in Bristol, I didn't have any friends here anymore. And I got very used to using virtual contact and having to, you know, remind people you exist and maintain friendships and do all that work. And so in some ways I'm kind of used to, I'm just clipped back into that, even though that's not really what I have to do anymore. Um, Whereas I think for some people who have have been very used to the whole, you know, the whole adult life is you go out every Friday and you see your friends or whatever it's it's a bit yeah in some ways similar is that I feel like I've had due to previous mental health problems I've kind of prepped (laughs) in a bizarre way yeah we prep we're prepped for disaster in a way we're used to we're used to anxiety we're used to just expecting the worst well this is it is that I think I think you know anxiety disorder is funny a, a condition that basically can make you think that uh, there is going to be some kind of global disaster about nothing and then oddly when there is yeah. one I've been I've been quite pragmatic about it it's almost like the actual day you know disaster that's not created by my own head I can handle <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um would you just for for people who might not know who you are do you want to just like give a little introduction just like mm. Yeah, who you are. Who I am. Okay, yeah. So I am um, a writer primarily. So I, and that takes different forms. So I um, I write for magazines mostly um, about pop culture, uh, LGBT issues, feminism, mental health. Um, I'm I'm also, I feel really embarrassed to say this to you who's a proper stand-up comic, but I I do do stand-up comedy. (laughs) Uh, my last, like, increasingly now. I didn't know that. Because, yeah, because of social social distancing, <laughs> I, like, no one's actually <laughs> able to do live gigs anymore. So it's less embarrassing. Because last, the last time I did a, a gig was last April at, at Soho House. And, um, yeah, I do, I do do stand-up comedy. Um, I used to do it on the queer kind of cabaret circuit in South London, and then I, I carried on doing it. So I do comedy. Um, and, yeah, and sometimes I've, in the past, I've written... Um, for more serious newspapers like broadsheets like the guardian um on trans politics um i don't tend to write for them anymore because they're all too hostile and i don't feel okay writing for them uh and i'm also working on my first book at the moment which is the working title is called the transgender issue and it is a um like a political non-fiction book looking at the systemic discrimination that trans and non-binary people in britain face so I kind of hoped it was going to be like um Chavs by Owen Jones or or why I'm no longer talking to white people about race um by Renée de Lodge who I know has been on this is that kind of format and that kind of genre but applied to trans politics because uh I don't well I feel like a lot there's really good stuff on American trans politics but because the left and and the the media mainstream media in Britain here is so hostile there hasn't been much of a chance. We we haven't really got off square one at our trans women, women. And actually, um, it's very hard to get anyone to commission you to talk about tr- homeless trans youth or anything like that. So I thought a book might be my time to put that out into the world. And then I can hopefully forget about trying to argue the case for trans people's existence. I mean, as someone who's written about 
fatness. Um, <laughs> also hoping that the questions would stop. They don't. Yeah, <laughs> the I questions know. don't stop. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, surely, I mean, Rennie Edo Lodge, literally the title of her book, <laughs> yeah. was, was, about, was about stopping. And presumably she's never had to, never had to speak to white people more often <laughs> about race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you have to ha- you have to have that kind of falsehood, I think, whilst you're working. Is that at the moment? I mean, it, yeah, again, it's strange because, well, actually, it's bizarre that on social media. I don't know if you found this too. With, um, I know that you probably experienced trolling too, because I do think actually fat and trans, in terms of the the nastiness they get online and the kind of obsessive need people need to tell you, you know, it's biology, mm. it's hell is that actually I'm surprised that that hasn't really let up <laughs> in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. people have they somehow find a way. <laughs> yeah. It's the, they will I, always find a way. It makes me feel sorry. Well, it doesn't make me... I mean, I'm not sorry for them. I'm not, you know, I'm not a full turn the other cheek type. But I think what it's made me realise is that for some... For, it's odd because I never really want to give too much headspace into understanding, if you like, the bullies, the enemy. But um, it makes you realise that for some people this is... It almost makes more sense if it's a run by trolling and they're just nasty people and they feel they can do it anonymously. But some people who it's a big part of their life and they cannot give it up. And it, it's not <laughs> global events have not overtaken how important it is for them to just um, obsessively target whatever group it is, whether it's Nazis and race or um, anti trans people or um, people who need to kind of like berate fat people online. It's it is sad. Um and it does give you an insight, really, into what their motivations are. It's pretty dark stuff. Do you have a um, Do you have a sense of why some people are so obsessed with it? Because it does feel like an obsession. Like I, I went to a, a labor, labor for women, labor's network, women's network, something something event. Because <laughs> I had to do a gig there, and I saw two turfs in the flesh. <laughs> uh, try to argue with the the candidates, the Labour candidates, and it, there was just something about their. I mean, passion sounds like a positive word, but it, it was just this like, like, and they were shouting. They weren't like it wasn't like putting up their hands and saying, "Oh, I actually have a question." It was like, "What are you going to do about women's safety?" You know, there was such a, you know, it came from so so deep down inside of them, and I was like, "This is not." healthy you, this is not like an opinion this is mm. so deep do, yeah. do, have you ever have you ever thought about what what it is that makes people <laughs> I, so fucking yeah sophie i've spent too much of my time frankly thinking about this <laughs> i think um yeah i think it's a natural thing i think i'm an intellectually curious person and, and i think if you're intellectually curious and you're empathetic it's strange because because the odd thing is if speaking as a trans woman i guess is um, a lot of what they're fearful of, I'm fearful of. That's what can be so strange. The thing is, is that, yeah, often what they seem to be scared of, because it's very easy to, with the internet, it's very easy to watch the conversations these people have amongst themselves. And I, and I, I don't tend to do it anymore because it's not good for my mental health. But, um, mm. but I have done it enough. And often what they're scared of, I'm scared of. It's that, you know, there's the... the the concern about male violence and about sexual violence and about the fact that um, women are, and I mean cisgender women, are ignored or belittled in the media or that, you know, we have pretty much across the Western world misogynist men in positions of power. Like, this is all true. What is What I can't get my head around is that it's almost like that's too much 
to the structural reasons are too deep there to really for the, for that so it's easier to set up particularly trans people but particularly trans women as almost like the embodiment of like everything that's wrong like some of these people do say it's the biggest issue facing women and and again this is something that I thought the other day I was reading the other day about like for the last 3 years in in Britain one of the huge things that we've heard about is women's refuges and the fear that if there there are better legal recognitions for trans people that um that trans women will you know are a risk to cisgender women who are survivors in, in in a refuge situation but then you look now and with with lockdown and quarantine there are going to be plenty of women who are basically locked down with abusers and for 10 years in Britain we have had a complete decimation of women's services and they just cannot you know there's no capacity that it was bad enough before this and there's no capacity to get to those women now and and it's just it, it it's like what the fuck how have you <laughs> why are we not looking at those causes together instead it's much easier to focus on this kind of um this like imaginary enemy <laughs> that they've ascribed all these these intentions to trans women it's really really um bizarre that like if you're talking about a trans woman in a refuge the reason that a trans woman is seeking a refuge is because she has been subject to the same violence and it's very it's very disheartening when i've had to explain that um because people's intuitions most people don't know a trans person so their intuitions about us are wrong often um particularly when there's so much misinformation around so it's sometimes i have to spell it out to people you know i i date cisgender men mostly and um i you know they pretty much any man i've dated probably well all of their girlfriends before me would be cisgender women now if they were abusive there's no reason they wouldn't repeat that abuse with me and sometimes like literally having to say i don't have the power or agency of a man in my relationships <laughs> um whether you think on you know biology determines my gender the reality is i don't have that power and um and it is very disheartening to have to explain that sorry i've gone off on one but i think i think um yeah it's bizarre that the levels of obsession i i think it's also something to do with online culture is that people incubate it amongst themselves so that, so these people go on and talk about it all day every day with each other and they they incubate their prejudice and and they convince you it's very easy i felt it online in different contexts where like I took a big break from Twitter in particular about a year and a half ago and my thinking changed. I realized that I started to become more critical of some of the group think that even some of my friends thought. I thought that actually no. You know, even some so you know, actually no this isn't right or but people have got that they mean well but this is this aspect of the discourse if you like is wrong. And I think if it's, you're all talking about one issue all the time and it's hate filled. It's just very very easy to yeah, to, to to see how people do that. I've seen the way they speak about me as an individual. Some some of the people that have obsessively stalked me over the years, and you know, I'm not. But I'm. You'd honestly think that I was this sort of gargantuan, seven foot brute <laughs> in a dress, and that's because that's just how you know that is this kind of you know the way that they even talk or describe our physical features or anything like that is is all part of maintaining this. Well, I'm going to say it's an illusion because. Obviously, there are bad trans people, like they're bad any kind of person, but you know that kind of obsessive demonization of us is just it's wild. So, how do you when you because I oh, I agree I took a week off Instagram and Twitter, and I felt so good, like my anxiety <laughs> levels went down, and then when I went back on, it was just. It was like walking into a room where people were just screaming. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm back on. So now I'm just used to the screaming again. Yeah. But how do you... So 
how do you because so much of your work as a writer you know and you, you sort of you're faced with all of this transphobia so often do you because you're sort of you know smiling as you're saying these things and like you, you seem to be sort of very intellectually on top of all of it right <laughs> do you have clear boundaries do you how do you what do you do to deal with it I guess is the question it's interesting I've changed strategies I think I used to um I used to put up more of a front I think of being okay with it because I use humor too so uh, you know particularly on social media I tend to use twitter uh, yeah twitter in a kind of like yeah to try and dismiss things with humor and I thought like that was my way of conquering it but actually there is a chipping away when you read that stuff every day and one of the biggest things to affect me and I had to have have therapy about this was you know I I I sort of became a prominent trans person on some social media platforms quite early in my transition when you're going through I was going through a medical transition hormones and surgery and um you know it's a bit of a cliche to say it's like a second adolescence because I don't quite think it is because I think I think I was an adult but I I um you know I felt awkward and there is an immense pressure to to uh, look satisfactorily feminine, huge, particularly if you do any kind of media work as a trans woman. And everyone, you know, you see instantly people equate your success in transition with what you look like. And so obviously that means bigots go straight for what you look like. And I knew on an intellectual level, I couldn't look, look like it had got to me at all. But because my body was changing and I hadn't had that time to catch up and, and think about, well, you know, what is my level of femininity? How do I fit in relation to these norms? Am I succeeding? Do What does succeeding even mean? I hadn't worked through any of that. It really, my self-image was really badly damaged. And I had quite a warped understanding of what I looked like to a point where it was starting to become quite unhealthy. So I had therapy and, and I think only therapy would have done it. Um, and time, time away from social media was one, talking about it a lot in therapy and giving myself space to be like, this isn't superficial. <laughs> the entire world is telling you what your worth is tied to what you look like because you're a trans and you're a woman. And, um, and, and it's normal that you, ha you know, and you have it at a heightened level because anyone can tweet you saying this and you, you've been on news night and there's loads of comments about whether or not you're pulling it off or whatever that, that is going to, that is going to penetrate and that is going to fuck with you. And so, so yeah, that was really important. Now I think it's that I am a bit more secure. I, 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 I did have that detachment from this activist. I mean, I don't really like the term activist, but this kind of like fighting persona online, I took time and I think I, I, I focused on my personal life and who matters to me. And uh, yeah, and spent time with f friends who make me feel good and, um, and are vocal about that. And, um, and I think what happened then is I became more secure. So now, I mean, like I still have to ration it, um, but when I see shit comments, they just don't, you know, I, I am a little bit stronger about it and more resilient. But I wish I kind of like, I would have told myself four years ago, you know, give yourself a break. Like you don't actually have to pretend that this is fine and make a joke. <clears throat> it's a lot of it. I don't know how to phrase this. Because obviously when you, I can imagine when you transition, there's a lot of inner work happening, right? Like there's a lot, mm. you know, you're realizing a lot of things and you're having to deal with a lot of changes and stuff, but the whole world sees it, right? Because you're also changing what's it called outwardly. Yeah. So do you, you, I guess you also have to react to or deal with 
people looking at you differently now. Yes. Like people who don't know you, who haven't seen you on Twitter, who just see you walking down the street. Was that a, am I right about this? Is, I don't know if this is a stupid question, but like, well, is there a difference in that as well? How you're well, being perceived yes, and how well, that coincides with how you have to deal with the inner stuff? Yeah, well, there's, it is because I think I've had an aggressive change, right? So like before I, before I transitioned, um, so I transitioned in my, for people, like I should probably say, like I transitioned in my mid-twenties. Um, and so, so yeah, so clearly an adult. And before that, like prior to my, um, yeah, my early 20s and teenage years, I was a, perceived as a very feminine male, a, like, a, like a gay, feminine gay male is probably what people saw. And because I did always present in, in actually, ironically, much more feminine then in terms of makeup and um, clothing than I do now. Um, but I, yeah, so, so I was like a gender non-conforming, perceived as gender non-conforming male walking down the street, which I think is, it's just relentless um, you, fear of violence um and feeling like you know you do have to change how you dress and you just because you just read as different and then I started to transition and then there is a period always where you um you probably do get clocked as as trans and um and, and people know that you're not they know that you're try you know essentially presenting as female but they also know you're trans and that isn't very pleasant too and then there's a certain point that happened where I started to realize that most more or less in, in walking down the street, I was being perceived as a woman. And that's, that's a different vibe again, because it becomes less a fear of violence and more of a thing of sexual harassment and being looked at and being touched. Um, and so that all happened to me, like that, that change at like those three different points happened um, in the space of about three years and you don't wake up, you don't have, no one has the self-awareness about their own body or whatever to wake up one day and be like, this is the day that I'm now going to, like, people are going, it just happens gradually and some people still notice and some people don't. And, and that's, that's a mind fuck anyway. And then to put yourself on television, <laughs> national television or to, um, I did a video for um, the Tate for the queer British art exhibition that was on at the Tate Britain in 2017. And it was, um, it was amazing. They did like, it was, that was a great exhibition, but at the end they did four videos of all LGBTQ people. And, um, it was about, it was a video about my transition, but it ended up going up online on Facebook and it got shared. It went kind of like a little bit viral, but obviously you just see all these comments about your appearance. And, um, and yeah, it's, it, you know, that, that is, that is strange. Um, because you almost have a separate other world. You have the, the offline world and then the online world where people know anyway because you're doing a trans thing. So the first thing they're going to say is, oh, you know, they, they, they don't have, you know, in the, it, almost in the real world, I, I started to become safer. And online I became more in danger, which was very bizarre because they, they used to be almost in reverse. I don't know if that made sense, but you... <laughs> it, I think it does. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. What? So just timeline-wise... When was this, and was it before or after you said you had a breakdown five years ago? Uh, no, it was, it was, so I had a breakdown in 2015, five years ago. So I, came, I was a lawyer. I literally quit my job, moved cities, and came out as trans in the same two weeks. Whoa. <laughs> I moved back in with my mum, and I, I had to come out to my mum, pretty much, because I knew I was going to start transitioning. So it was a very difficult time, because she, my family had to process it. I was very, very depressed. Um, and, uh yeah really really like that real dark depression where I was probably a risk to myself and 
um, but also like trying to process this whole thing. And it, yeah, it's bizarre now because it seems like a, a different dream. Um, but I think you see uh, what happened. I think is that I I re- made a bit of a recovery, and then I, I was very lucky that I got to start my medical transition um, earlier than people would now because the waiting lists are, are wild. But um, but I started my medical transition. But I think what happened is that when I recovered from that depressive period, I funneled everything into being like, if I'm going to be trans, I'm not going to just be like a civilian trans person. I'm going to be someone that's articulate and is going to like advocate for this. In part, it's all this zeal that often happens to trans people when they come out. And I and I, I think it's worth explaining for people who don't know much maybe about trans visibility is that like the difference between 2020 and 2015 in terms of what the public mood was like. In 2015, uh, it's funny, there's quite a lot of us who came out that year. It was the same year that Caitlyn Jenner came out. I came out a month after Caitlyn Jenner, which is very embarrassing to be a post-Caitlyn Jenner transsexual, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> very cliche, very old hat. But um, Laverne Cox had been on the cover of Time magazine in 2014 and, and it said, you know, the transgender tipping point. And, or it, yeah, she'd been on Orange is the New Black and Transparent was out and Caitlyn Jenner had come out. And I think um, there were more trans people appearing in the media. And th- it was almost like, wow, this is okay. Like, this is tight, you know, we can, like, oh, this is actually okay. It's becoming, it's like gay people, it's becoming more normalised. It's fine. You can, you can say your number. And I initially sort of, came out as non-binary because I'd always felt like that and then I made the kind of decision that actually you know I sort of like identified more with womanhood but you know all of those conversations that hadn't been around 10 years ago when I'd felt like I knew I wasn't really gay none of that had you know had really existed so it all felt like a very welcoming space and then suddenly there was obviously a backlash to that in the, and I don't think it was just against trans. I think it was, you know, in the middle of the last decade, there was Black Lives Matter and there was all these political resistance movements. And what you see then is Trump being elected and this huge right-wing resurgence and Brexit. And I think, you know, trans people suddenly became a culture war issue. Is that is that like, no, people, people didn't, people weren't okay with being told you have to like respect someone's pronouns and people weren't okay with like trans people getting healthcare on the NHS and people weren't okay with trans women being in women's spaces. And and so, so yeah, so actually I think it's gone, I think it's much harder now. We have all this visibility, but, um, but what, what use is visibility and when it, when it comes with this like unethical hostility, um, and so yeah, so I, I I can't I can't remember how I got onto that, but I think I think it's yeah I think it's worth noting that like pretty much when I came out, it, it was a very different conditions. And so oh yeah, so when so when I came out, the media was still a little less hostile, and there was a bit of an appetite for trans stuff. And I was a writer anyway, and and so people just were like, "Will you write for us about this? Will you write for?" And and in some ways, when your own you know you're going through it with your family, they're they're trying to accept it, but it's difficult and you know they get things wrong and your friends are struggling too and uh, I'd had this it was almost quite validating that people wanted me to put myself out there in the media (laughs) and now when I look back if if I was advising a trans person who just came out now I'd be like really think about this because one you cannot take it back two it could do you will get hostility and it could do irrevocable damage at this point before you've got enough in reserve and three these people do not give a fuck about you they are treating you (laughs) as a hot topic and, you know, their their purpose often isn't to under get people to understand more. It's to create entertainment. And if that means putting you in front of someone that will then, then spend 
two weeks, two years harassing you on Twitter after, they will do that. Um, I've, 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 I've started, when I'm invited on television debate programmes now, which still happens, it's happening less because researchers and producers, I like to think, are, are scared of me. But what I often started doing was, tweet, was um, tweeting my replies to them because they were asking me to go on like a BBC Sunday morning program with someone that like I can see right through them. It's like, oh, we're we're going to be talking about women's rights. It's like, what you mean is you're going to have me on with someone who thinks I threaten her rights? And I just challenge them. I say, you know, I hope I'm absolutely not going to do this. I don't need to give up my Sunday morning. It's not going to help trans people. And you should really think about the ethics of what you're doing and about I hope you're going to be providing aftercare for whoever you get so that she's not you know she's not just left to put fend off all this abuse particularly if she's not been in the media before and then I tweet I usually tweet those <laughs> screenshot them and tweet them and I don't include names I'm not trying to cause a witch hunt against individual people working in television but I kind of do want them to feel a bit ashamed um because I yeah everyone has a job to do but you know, I, I, as I say, I used to be a lawyer and I left it because I didn't feel comfortable helping like rich people get richer. So, so maybe if you don't feel comfortable exposing people to abuse on television, then don't work in television. <laughs> I, it's, it's a, I think people in television are very used to people being very grateful to be on television. And I yeah. think when you reach a certain point, you're like, you know, when you've, I remember first being on, when I started being on TV and then I would check my social media platforms afterwards to see, you know, how many new followers I'd get. And like, it's like it's 15, you get 15 new <laughs> followers or whatever. No one, no one watches TV. So now you are literally just there clickbait and all you get is trolling. So when you're like, Oh no, I don't want to do that. They get like, what? But you get to yeah. be on television. <laughs> like that's not a good thing for people like me. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's what's strange, right? Isn't it? You, like you say, like, that's not a good thing for people like me. Is That's exactly what I think, is that I think it's almost because we grew up in a fame culture. Is that I, you know, I'm, I grew up in the age of reality TV where everyone was desperate to be on television. And I guess, like, you know, you're, I don't know if you feel fine, but because you're a, you're a stand-up, you're a performer, and I've always done so, is I do like an audience. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, there is, I'm a Leo Moon sign. I, I love attention. I, I love my platform. Uh, that's why I like social media, obviously. We've talked all the bad stuff, but like, I love, I love putting up an article and it getting like, seeing how many retweets it gets. I'm, I'm a dopamine addict. I'm an, e I'm an egotist. But, um, but yeah, having to learn that actually, yeah, you'd think TV would be really great, but like, it's not on your own terms. I would love to be like, if someone had me like, you know, if, if someone offered you this podcast as like a sit down chat show and you had like full executive control, it'd be amazing. But what they're asking you to do is be uh, like a pawn in basically quite a sick game. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they do not mind lying. They do not <laughs> mind manipulating. It's, um, they don't mind ambushing you. And yeah. they still afterwards shake your hand and go, thank you so much for coming. And you're like, you, you know what you just did. Yeah. You know what you just did to me. <laughs> it's, it's true. Horrendous. It's true. I did, a sh I, did a, I did a pilot for a BBC Three thing. I'm going to name it and shame. <laughs> I did a pilot for a BBC Three thing. This was two years ago. And it was going to be like having, like they basically, it was before Woke became this, like, because Woke has now almost become this almost right wing. It's, it was a, it, obviously it was a, a thing that, particularly African-American communities said about black, about um, police violence, like stay woke, you know, be alive to the fact the world's trying to kill you. And now it's almost trans been 
co-opted by the very bigots who use it to kind of mock any kind of social justice movement. But this was like two years ago before that had really happened. And I think they were trying to capitalise on on woke young people. And so they wanted like a panel show. And I said, okay, I'll I'll do it. Um, uh, And then I was on a call with a researcher and she started asking me about, you know, where I grew up and stuff like that. And I said, my parents were divorced. And she was like, do you have any contact with your father? And I was like, is this relevant? Like, aren't we supposed to be like debating like whether it's, you know, you can be like an ethical, like ethical polyamory or something like that. You know, it was like, why do you have to talk about that? And then she was like, how do you take your hormones? Is that tablets? Or, and I was like, I'm sorry. Like, would you, are, are you asking like the cisgender women on this? Like, you know, whether or not they will, like, their means of contraception, like how they're, like, why is this relevant? It's part of my like, private medical stuff. And she was just like, oh yeah, I know. I did feel really, she sent me an email after saying, oh, I was told from above to, to ask you that. And I was like, I'm sure you were. <laughs> like, look at what you're doing. You don't have this inalienable right to just work in the media, which clearly a lot of them think. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, uh, yeah. I, d- I don't, I don't want all of it to be about all the negativity. Like we, mm. it's important to talk about, right? But what I, you, you've mentioned a few times about your sort of your your you had the breakdown, and you mentioned that you'd been confused about sort of se- is it sexuality, is it gender, what is mm. it? What what's been really good? What's the upside to everything you've sort of gone through and the place you've reached and. Or, like, are you in a good place? What? Yes, I am. What in a were good... the highlights? What were the good things? <laughs> the good things. So, I think one thing that I've really, um, and again, this was through therapy. I'm a big therapy advocate. Is one of the things that I I flipped the narrative on is that um, you know I have dealt with um, mental health problems, if you like, mental aches and pains since I was a teenager, really, and um, and having that a huge implosion where you know I had this independent life, this really successful job. I'd always done it well academically and it was like, oh yeah, now, you know, I, I went to Oxford and then I became a lawyer and I sort of ticked all these boxes and um, and then it all kind of fell apart. Is that I built up this narrative is that I'm a failure, basically, is that like this, I'm weak and I, my mental illnesses make me weak. And what I've really changed um, in the last, I'd say last year and a half is realising, no, I've actually survived all of this stuff. And what's what's really good about it is that I almost feel like it sounds like cliche, but you you learn so much more about yourself. I've learned to actually take care of myself in a way that, um, oddly, you don't, no one really tells you how to do. And some people go, so here's an example. So I basically date, like mostly date straight cis men. And what I always say about them, especially the ones like that I've, you know, that I encounter perhaps like, you know, when they're dealing with the fact that they're attracted to me and I'm trans and stuff like that is, Sometimes these are like, you know, men in their 30s, 40s or whatever. And they know they've never had to develop any emotional intelligence <laughs> or like resilience. Like, you know, this is the first conflict they've ever had. And often they've used, like, frankly, they've often relied on on women <laughs> to to do that for them and to and to be their therapist and their mum and their counsellor, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, well, OK, yeah, you might have the outward trappings of, of success compared to me. But actually, it's because the world is built to sustain you in a way not all you know not all but like there's various various exceptions to the rule but I think you know often that is the case and I've had to kind of forge my own tools if you like to sort of, sort of, um, 
limp metaphor. I have to. I've had to forge my own tools through through difficulty. And yeah, I'm not. I'm not perfect, and I and I could still. But I think I'm much more in tune with myself, and it's made me, frankly, a more empathetic person. Is that um, I don't claim to always understand anyone the way that mental illness would affect anyone else, or being trans would affect anyone else, or or issues that I don't experience like racism or whatever. But I came from. I come from a, a sort of middle a, a middle class background. I wasn't like super rich. I got a scholarship to a private school, so I'm very privileged in some ways. And I always think if I had been like a straight cis boy that had gone to the kind of school I'd gone to, I wouldn't have the friends I have now. I wouldn't um, have an awareness of the world. I'd probably be quite ignorant. <laughs> I'd probably be quite right wing. I mean, like not like in a not in a fash way, but like po- probably that is that is the general trajectory for people from that kind of background is to be like, well, I, I've succeeded and fuck everyone else. And, you know, it's actually, I'm, I'm much happier to feel like I have been brought into contact through being queer and trans. And, you know, uh, I feel like a part of just generally being a bit mad, if I say that about myself in the non-stigmatizing way, is a, I think it's a good catch-all sometimes for just general stuff. And some sometimes I prefer it. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't apply it to anyone else. But the good thing about being a bit mad, I like, is that I've always kind of sought out friends who who um, I, I, it sounds silly, but like are on some way live on the edge or are different or are exciting or whatever there's that kind of craving for like well, please just don't be boring you can be like completely bonkers <laughs> and and I'm grateful for that because it's enriched my life so I suppose that that's that's the good stuff um and it and it is good it makes me think of that which is also a bit going back to the media thing of community yeah you know that so in the past couple of months maybe year. No months. I've had a, I've had a whole appreciation for. I've been thinking a lot about the bubble, right? You know, the feminist bubble, or you mm. know, the echo chamber, and all of those things. And I've been trying to think because there's so much criticism around it, right? There's so much criticism in, you know, you sh- you should speak. There's a lot of like you should be speaking to the Nazis. You know, you should be trying to, you shouldn't berate your trolls. You should try and talk to them and show them understanding. And, you know, you should go on television to debate these things because how do you blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I get to stand in front of hundreds of people and talk to them. And there's something, there's something very valuable in that as well, because it's not like, it's not two sides, right? There's loads of people in, within a community as well that are, disagreeing on a lot of things and it's so much easier to convince someone who's already coming to my shows for example to be a bit better as a person than it is to for me to go and talk to some nazi somewhere right yeah so there's something about community it's also safer right it's so much safer and much more fun and nice and positive to talk to people who are already part of the the group well yeah and the thing is is that there is cross-pollination there because like, like i came to your the show you did um, at Union Chapel in January with my oh, friend yeah. Gemma, who's a huge fan of yours, I have to say, really dear yeah. friend of mine. So I'll shout her out because I'm sure. But she, <laughs> she I, but like, it was quite funny because we went and we were laughing because, like, you look around and, like, one, I recognize so many people from online at the show in the audience too. And then you just know, like, it's like that genre of person. But, like, even, even that, right, is that, like, you know, she's been my friend since for over 10 years and I've been hers. And like, yes, we've had conversations about fatness and, and about transness or whatever, but like obviously us both going to something like that 
it kind of means we don't have to have this like very serious face conversation about our respective <laughs> issues. There's sort of cross pollination because you know even there, there's things that I didn't like certainly about like a um about fat politics until very recently I didn't know um and it's only because actually often there's like a space where I'm in things because there are like there's Travis Alabanza there and they're a friend of mine or whatever it's that like you know that cross-pollination is that you come to understand more and in some ways you uh I've learned from people without the people in my life my friends having to do that kind of work uh, and vice versa too but it is quite it, there's also a comical so that's the very earnest side of it but the comical side is literally being something like I either know everyone here or like everyone here is like us like, like it's like the same friendship group again again and again you can tell which one you are just from their clothes <laughs> I really like it though like I'm, I've been and especially during um and sorry to people who don't who sorry to people who are listening to not think about it but in this pandemic situation i think is also making hopefully making people more aware of the importance of us having each other and community and you know suddenly relying on your neighbors and your mm. network and for me like suddenly not knowing if i can pay my rent next month having my followers help me out like that feels so massive right mm. like that's a massive on, and I, it just and then the um this is recorded the day after people were clapping out their windows for the NHS and mm. I I just hope there is more of a focus on you know each other because the media right now just seems to be it's not about us anymore it's about numbers right yeah. it's not actually about doing something that's good and informing people it's just about yeah yeah whatever getting the clicks and the comments yeah and the thing is is that I think one thing that I, I, I forgot to mention earlier that really helped me and caused a shift in trans stuff too was that I got a, I, I got a, a, well, a mixture of different jobs working with charities like Stonewall, Amnesty, whatever. And I started to do like, where, whereas before you become almost like an influencer, I started to do the kind of mundane work of like activism where it's like the results won't be seen in like tomorrow or like with like, a thousand likes it's bought going to healthcare stakeholder meetings to be like why you know how are we going to get the waiting list down over the next 10 years for trans healthcare and that's what actual community work looks like and that's where the valuable stuff is like yes it's great if i can make someone change their mind or or they feel like if they follow me on twitter they know a trans person i love all that but it's also quite isolating like people will be like you know the flip side to all the mean stuff is people being like you're such an inspiration particularly like cis people i'm like in what sense <laughs> like, how, how am i inspiring you like <laughs> i'd love to hear that um but like yeah realizing that that sort of stuff it's that um and that, that's why i've yeah i found this stuff like there's a um uh, mutual, one of the first mutual aid groups I saw was called Queer Care, which was like tr trans people who were saying, you know, like this, this is this was a few weeks ago. I mean, it's only been three weeks, <laughs> but like really before it started to get real, if you like, for a lot of people, is saying, you know, people people in the LGBT community might not have family members that you know not be speaking to them. They might have you know underlying health conditions, HIV. They might be sex workers. This is a group that was you know, and they might feel worried about their local community doing some of this stuff like if, if the people on your estate have been bullying you for being trans you're probably not going to get them to do your shopping so realizing that need I mean that's that is you know it's, it sounds very twee but that is the valuable stuff um, and I hope that when this is over we do start to 
yeah, I don't know. Yes, bring kind of bring it forward. I think and 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 take it forward because I think I think the one the one time you know there's always like a like a, a way that you can sort of sound a bit like you right wingers or you know people say it's your most right wing opinion but sometimes I do think there's a sort of a sliver a slither of truth to when people sort of say about um everything can be too focused on identity and yourself and um you know not talk about how that fits into a community I kind of think that's a fair criticism some of the time and you know I think it's 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 used it's weaponized against certain people more than others like no one ever says that to white men but I but I think um I do think hopefully that something we can maybe take forward from from this is it's almost like it is a sort of reset of our values is well maybe the real value isn't on convincing the bigots or or, or trying to take over a media culture that doesn't really want us <laughs> and actually it's about building our own community like you say so what if you so you've been did you say you had been in therapy for a year and a half yeah or longer? yeah about that yeah how's it been It's been good. I've I had it in the past, but this is the longest time, and this is the time where I, I what's odd about therapy is I actually st- like I, so I'm a pe- <laughs> one thing I realize in therapy, and I do in therapy is I'm a people pleaser, and, and that's not a good thing, right? Like that's a that's that can lead you. When I was younger, I used to have real part. I can say it now because it's a long enough ago. I mean, when I was a teenager. I had a problem where I would start, I instead of disappoint someone, I would like, my instinct would be to lie or to make stuff up because I wouldn't want to let people down, which obviously, <laughs> you know, it's the worst habit to build up. And it was something I had to really kind of like take hold of. But I, I didn't really realize until this is, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser and I, I'm so terrified of disappointing people sometimes. And, and uh, again, I think it's the, it's the same thing. It's the, I feel like stand up comedy is the, like, it's the most like, pure version of that it's like you it doesn't matter how much you could like potentially how much you could humiliate yourself as long as you keep people laughing that's the impulse and I and I feel like that's that's kind of like and to a lesser extent that's how I am as a person and so in therapy it can be really difficult because I don't want my therapist to think, to think I'm basic or like you know like there was there was a there was a period where I was like sort of talking about um you know how I, I that's since that's since changed I've both had and, and left a like a like a, a very adult long-term normative looking relationship but I hadn't had one for like 10 years when I went into therapy and I felt really embarrassed talking about it because I was like oh god I'm one of those like she's gonna think I'm one of those girls that just like only ever talks about boys and like this is pathetic and but I used to say stuff like that in therapy I used to use words like pathetic and stuff like that and what was good um and is that the therapist was very good at like challenging me on that because even though I mean it as a joke you know why are you using that like hostile language about yourself why are you like <laughs> you're speaking about like you're speaking about yourself in a way that you wouldn't speak about other people um and so yeah that that's been good but i still i still i still battle with that and and i also sometimes i don't know if you i don't know if you if you've had this because i've heard you talk on the podcast about therapies is that again like sometimes i'll make my therapist laugh mid session and then i can feel <laughs> i can feel like shon The, the the person who's being introspective on her soul go away and this performer come out and like, crave <laughs> to keep her laughing and I start getting more and more kind of sassy <laughs> and, then, and then you I have it online and then you sort of hang up <laughs> and then you're like was that the most useful thing of like however much this cost like 55 pounds <laughs> yeah it's the one point where when my therapist is like when I make her laugh she's German so it's really hard and then but when she then does laugh and then she's like oh that is very funny and I'm like 
I know. Like, <laughs> this is this is what I got. Like I have this. I'm good at this bit. There's an amazing. <laughs> but there's, I'm there's, still there's, unable to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's, well, actually, tears is a really interesting one because I used to never, never cry. And as I say, I've I went through I went through a breakup two months ago, and and it was very sad because it was a compatibility thing, and and he and I was st- still really had feelings for each other. Just our futures weren't in sync. And I just cried nonstop for a month. But actually, I thought it was great. Like, I was like, this shit is great. I hope, I was like, when this is over and I've healed from this breakup, I hope I can keep up the crying. Because, like, for for years and years, I just couldn't. And I and I, and it is odd, because it, like, it's, like, one of the few things of, like, uh, as you might imagine, I didn't really latch on to many, like, boys shouldn't do this messages. But clearly, boys don't cry. I don't know if it was a, a boys don't cry thing, but I certainly think I... I learned at a young age to to use other ways of catharsis, humour, whatever, but not the kind of, if you like, the surrender of tears. But it is your, it's the human body's literal way of expelling. It, it does feel like you're expelling sadness. And then, like, I couldn't do it, and I was so frozen. I just, you know, I'm not saying it's... But it was hard when I was depressed and stuff like that. I, I used to, and uh, this might be triggering for some people, I did used to when I was younger. I used to self-harm, and I, I used to cut... And um and I'm fully recovered from that now, and it's been a long time. But but it, it it's strange because I feel like the you know the the I couldn't cry, but I was obviously desperate to exteriorize my pain. And then like when I suddenly discovered crying in January 2020, the age of 31, I was like, this shit's great. Why why, why isn't everybody doing this? <laughs> highly recommend highly recommend yeah it turns out this is that your body has created a way to expel sadness and to show it to other people and to show it to yourself i started taking selfies of myself crying because i was just like isn't this amazing I used to, when I had a depression, I used to like run to the mirror and just look myself in the mirror crying because I I think I look really hot when I cry. (laughs) Yeah. I get really like, you really like, what's it called? You get like swollen in all the right places in your face. I remember reading like in a fashion magazine I wrote for once, like models always like, like these kind of like, there's a lot of these like kind of kooky models who have have got very good at doing the like rapid fire questions that I'm never really good. And there was a model that they were like, what's your favorite color? And she was like, the the face of my, the color of my face when I cry. And I was like, isn't that the perfect emo answer? Like, (laughs) like it's so, it's so studied. She clearly sat and wrote that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) And then they asked her like what her favorite, like her favorite decade was and she was like the 1430s and I was like oh god you've really got this kook <laughs> kooky like oh like manic pixie dream girl vibe <laughs> down I, I need to do that I need to start writing these <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> the blood of my enemies was just death in the back what <laughs> yeah <Holy> shit <laughs> amazing <laughs> Yeah, but can you cry in front of others? Can you cry in front of your therapist? Mm, no, I've never cried in front of her. No, no. Yeah. It's too It's too weird. Also, because therapists can't comfort you. Is that, like, they can't, like, they're not going to put their arm around you. They might pass you the tissues. I. What was odd, this is, I don't know why, I, when I was a, trained as a lawyer, I worked for six months in divorce law. It's just, I was, a, you, as, a, as a solicitor in England, you do, like, six months for two, you do four lots of six months doing different areas of law until you qualify. And I did six months thinking, oh, I'd love divorce. And my job as a trainee, you're just given, like, lackey jobs and to observe the real lawyers. And it was that wives often would come in um, and to, for an initial meeting because they found out and it, they was, these were very rich women, right? And it was always the real tragic story of like, 
she'd given up work like 20 years ago and had children. Now he's literally, he's wealthy and he's replaced her with someone younger. And that made me really realise, wow, this is real, like, shit. (laughs) Um, But like, there was always, a a lawyer was like, there's always a moment where she'll cry and you need to go and get the tissues and you need to have them ready and pass them to her elegantly. That's your one job. And that was my job for like six months. And it was always basically like, they they would have to start being like, okay, so what, where did you get, because they have to know what jurisdiction you got married in and what. And so the minute that, and it was always the minute she started talking about her wedding day, it was almost like the anger went and it hit her and she would start crying. But, but like, what, you know, lawyers aren't therapists, right? So, you know, you pass her... My job was to pass this person whose whole life had fallen apart tissues while someone basically started talking about money. Very surreal experience, but, like, a huge insight, I think, into... I don't know, like... Yeah, the the risks that people take when they, like, put themselves in vulnerable positions, like being in love with someone. That Like, this was someone who was talking about a day 20 years earlier where she just didn't think things were going to turn out this way. Anyway, I've not, I've not really ever discussed that before. But yeah, I think that that that's an interesting one, that people kind of... Uh, crying in front of other people is, is an extremely vulnerable thing to do. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think therapists and lawyers don't... I wouldn't waste my tears because they can't... They won't comfort you. <laughs> I think my, my therapists have always tried to make me cry in front of them. And I'm always just stubbornly going like, no. <laughs> I always see it as a victory when I walk out of there. I'm like, I won again. It's like, no, you didn't. You just added another year to your therapy bills. That, there was, this is not winning. Well, I was going to say there was that viral tweet, wasn't there, that I saw once that was like, I think I'm, I think I'm, um, what was it like? I think I'm, I'm getting an a, a grade or whatever in therapy, which is both a possible, a, a thing that's possible to have and a normal thing to want. <laughs> like, like, it's true. It's just thinking like, yeah, I'm my therapist's favourite. Um, like, I even think sometimes I'm like, I bet my therapist, like, how, I wonder if she ever stalks me on Twitter. <laughs> like, it's, because the weird thing is, is that like, probably, you know, like from her, from, 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 some of the conversations I've had with her, she, she's someone that would come to a so like I can tell she's someone. I hope she doesn't listen to this. She, but she's probably someone that would come to a Sophie Hagen show. Do you know what I mean? So, so I'm like, you probably. And she did once allude to the fact that I, I'd spoken at an event on body. It was actually about. I don't like. I, I now know body positivity is whack, but like it was called that. And um and as so I was speaking about trans people in healthcare. And um, she she let she let slip that she was planning to go to it, and then she saw that I was going to be speaking at it, and so she decided she couldn't go really ethically. <laughs> and ever since then, I've been like, <laughs> we're in the same circles. You you've probably read my articles. Reveal everything. <laughs> you also stalk her, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't like. I actually haven't. That's terrible, isn't it? I'm really self involved. I I have I have to. <laughs> I have Googled her. I mean, she she said that she's on social media and she's quite active because I, I obviously spoke about, you know, I wondered at the start, like, am I going to have to explain this divide in feminism? <laughs> she was like, no, no, I know. <laughs> um, Amazing. So, so, yeah, so, like, she's obviously plugged into that, but she did, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't sought her. I think she's a bit more low-key. I mean, she has professional accounts, I'm sure, but I don't, I don't know what her burner account is, you know. <laughs> 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 Might be a bit, a bit weird. It's like in The Sopranos, isn't it? Where, like, Tony Soprano, the, the mafioso boss, like, basically starts, like, interfering in the life of his own psychotherapist. It's, you don't really want to be, like, finding out too much about them. It's a bit controlling. Mine, she's, she's got such a... She's so 
stern looking and she's very hardcore, <laughs> right? She's very German, short hair, just, but then <laughs> she'll sometimes reveal what she does, like what most of her job is. And she works with really, really, really fucked up cases and like really horrible, like people with horrible trauma. And then she'll sometimes just, she was like, um, she said something like, oh yeah, that is a classic mind control. Uh, and then she said like, and then she mentioned like a group of people. And then she was like, well, <laughs> that wasn't their parents. That was the government. Anyways, go on. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you know about, what do you know about the government and mind control? Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, wow. What's this about? She was like, no, no, this is about you. I was like, no, <laughs> tell me about the government. I need to know what the government has done. <laughs> yeah. The therapy is cancelled. <laughs> I, need, I need to know yeah. what, what they're not telling us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to ask you the last question now that I always ask. Okay. So you're in the delivery room and you have just been born, but you now, you now are in the delivery room and little teeny tiny Shun has just been born and she's lying in your arms and she's crying because there was just like, like there was just um, warm and comfortable Uh, silence in the womb and now there's doctors and lights and sounds and it's all very horrible and she's looking at you like what the fuck is this what is this is this what i've been born into is this life just (laughs) noise and people and this all seems very horrible what is going to happen what is the what is the point of all of this and you can say something to her but you can't change anything she'll forget it immediately uh you everything that has happened will happen again you won't have this any extra awareness or knowledge but in that very moment just that moment she looks at you and she's like what is this what is my life going to be like is this it <laughs> what would you say to teeny tiny baby you yeah it's annoying because until you said i could change something i was going to be like avoid the new rave moment in 2006 it's not a good look <laughs> <laughs> don't wear neon <laughs> I uh I would I would say <clears throat> I would say <clears throat> the reason that you're crying is because you've quite r- rightly recognized that this is hard and this is difficult compared to where you were and that um that's that means you're tuned in and you will always be tuned in and that will become your greatest strength because you it will it's upsetting now but you will have the ability and the capacity to empathize with other people. And that's what your um, friends and family and um, lovers and whoever else will, that's what they will respect you for. So, you know, it is upsetting now, but kind of embrace the tears. (laughs) Also because you'll find it hard to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still need to be reminded of that? Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes, yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. It's that sometimes I think I can, I think it's because I can, uh, yeah, like tune into how difficult things are. And I can also, f- yeah, I can sometimes forget. Um, I can be very self-critical and then kind of forget what my strengths are. And I'm, you know, it's it's been really, really good in the last few years to kind of like start telling my friends more what I appreciate about them and having them, you know, having friends who say that back. 
Um, and so, yeah, so I'm passing that gift on to my baby self, which if I was holding, I, I didn't say this, but today's my 32nd birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, 32 Happy years birthday. ago today. <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it was a birthday on lockdown, so I wasn't going to be able to go to a bar or do anything like that. So I was like, I'll do a podcast. How are you celebrating your birthday? Um, well, I'm, I'm with my family. I'm going to go on my government permitted walk. For people who are listening in the future, we're allowed out one walk a day <laughs> to keep us sane. Um, so I'm going to go on my government approved walk in a minute. And then later on, I'm going to have dinner with my family. And then I might go on Zoom and, like, see if I can do, like, a house party with friends. But I don't know if that will happen. But, like, I'll give it a go. <laughs> it's Lovely. a birthday I won't forget. Like, the, yeah. the, the oh 2020, my, the, the, my 30... I'll be, like, I'll be telling my sister's children, hopefully, in, like, 50 years' time. And they'll be like, fuck off on, Sean. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. We're going to... Um, I'm going to ask you to plug your stuff and then we're going to do the little extra bit recording for the patrons cool yeah so do i so, do i switch off and then come back in no you do okay. nothing you do cool. nothing you just tell people where they can find you and where you would direct them Okay, so yeah, I'm pretty much Sean Fay on everything. Um, so you can find me pretty easy on Twitter. It's at Sean Fay, one word on Instagram. It's at Sean.Fay, but if you just type in my name, so it's S-H-O-N-F-A-Y-E. Um, yeah, Twitter and Instagram are my main ones. I'm not going on TikTok. I'm 32 today. I'm too bloody old. And um, I have a Facebook page too, but like Facebook page, who cares? <laughs> so yeah, that kind of stuff. And like, um, it's a long way off, but I am hoping that... Um, uh, my book the transgender issue will be out in 2021 at some point once i've fi finished it um and so if it, you want to kind of learn more about trans politics then but that's out pick it up please buy it <laughs> it's really I'm hard work i'm so excited for that book <laughs> i'm so excited i can't wait to read it well thank you well we'll see i'm gonna write it first <laughs> so yeah thank you very much for having me Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to go and find Sean Fay on social media and tag her and thank her for doing the podcast. That's always so much fun. I like it when you do that, when you tell the guests that you've listened. I often get messages from the guests saying, oh, I've received so many messages from people saying that they like the podcast. And that really means more than... <laughs> I don't know. I can't keep trying to rank what means the most but it means a lot and I love it I really love it and I this week since I have been uh since this whole thing started this whole pandemic thing and I have sort of felt less bad about sharing the fact that I do have a Patreon you know uh, outside of the actual podcast uh I, you you've become patrons and Oh, there's there's many of you, and I am tell tell me what I can do. Tell me what I can do to um to deserve this. What do you want? What content do you want for the patron uh, Patreon? What extra content do you want apart from the um you know most of the guests do these extra nine questions and they come out on the Saturday after the the main episode has come out. So I'll obviously keep doing that. I've added a few extra questions so it's longer. What else do you want? Do you want videos? Do you want um discounted something tickets you already get my two stand-up shows for free if you do it uh is there any kind of merch that i should start looking into getting developed do you want 
uh, live Q&As? Do you want to be able to ask people questions? Like, just tell me what I can do to um, repay you or to deserve this amount of love because and support because I am uh, speechless. It means the entire world. And also, oh, yeah, I was going to tell you this. So during one of my, uh, the latest um, podcast chat I had, my recorder started just being like, Dude! and it just died. Like it died. And I was like, this is the worst. But because you're patrons, I can actually afford to replace it with something a bit less fancy, but still something that can So I can still do podcasting and I would not have been able to do that if it wasn't for you. So that is like actively what you're doing. And I'm so grateful and I'm going to shut up now because you must be so sick to death of just hearing me blabber on about how grateful I am. It's a bit worthy, isn't it? But I'm, I just don't, I just want you to, I want you to feel real good about what you're doing and like, I'm not taking it for granted. So, uh, for the people who gave, uh, who are giving $5 or more per episode, you, you've become part of the uh, VIP section, which is my new name for it. The people giving one or $2 per episode are the, um, my, what is it? My, 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 my sweethearts, my darlings, and uh, the essential legends. But the $5 or more per episode are my, uh, my VIPs, my VIP section. And if you are part of that, you will have your name, read out loud at the end of the episode, which is now. So I want to say a massive thank you to these absolute VIPs. I want to say thank you to Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Enya Knoblauch. And then we have Anna-Marie Hepburn. You're new. Welcome, Anna-Marie. We have Aretha. You're also a bit new. Welcome. Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Kat Posse, Cherry Winter. Uh, sorry, Cherry. I kept getting your name wrong, didn't I? Cherry, Cherry, Cherry. Danny Becker, Daniel Reifersheet. Then we have Danielle Johnson. Welcome, Danielle. You're new as well. We have Dieter Brunberg Jensen. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, Dieter. Uh, then we have E, just E. Welcome, E. Then we have Eleanor. Uh, we have uh, Emily Bindi, Emma Day. Emma Day is new. Emma Perangi, Peranchi, Peranchi, Perangi, Perani, Perangi. So sorry. <laughs> we have two Emmas now. Oh, interesting. I wonder if we can get more Emmas into the little name competition. Then we have uh so welcome of course to those to the two the two new Emmas. Then we have Felicity Tully, Tolly, Tolly. You're also new. Welcome, Felicity. Then we have Fenelodon Privacy of Soros Aroiteratops. <laughs> an an old and old classic. Gal Galway Cass, which is a name I recognize from somewhere. Where do I recognize that name from? Is it Twitter? Hmm. You're, you're new, Galway. Welcome. We have Gillian Davidson, Grace Anne. Then we have Hannah Powell Smith. Welcome, Hannah. Uh, then we have Hannah Rose Tristram, meaning we have two Hannahs. This is getting interesting now. Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minot, 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 Minot. Then we have Helen Jerina and Helen Jermak. You're both new as well. Welcome to Helen's. We have hee hee. <laughs> oh, hi, hi. He, hi, 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 he. <laughs> you're new. I'm so sorry. I couldn't pronounce that. And we have Holly Ritchie. Welcome. You're also new. Ida Sogor Larsen, Josie, Catherine Norton. Welcome, Catherine. We have Kathleen Goodmanson, Kathleen, uh, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pedersen. Welcome, Katrina. We have Kim Williams. We have Kostenta. You're also new. Welcome. Kirsten Davidson, Chrissy Nicholson. We have Kristen Sillaby Franson. 
Welcome, Kristen. You're also new. Laura Ingman, welcome. You're new. We have Lily and Harry French, washed, scrubbed, and sterilized. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good old classic. For the new people, uh, you can change your names and then make everything hot for me, <laughs> which people love to do. We have Liz Cassell. We have M. Dash, uh, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Nicola Ellison, you're new. Welcome. We have Tiggerific. We have Paul Swaddle, Perpetuum Motion, Pierre Fenne. We have Rachel England. Welcome, Rachel. You're new. And then we have Rachel Evenheim, Ra Rachel Furley, and Rachel Phillips. That's four Rachels so far winning. We have uh, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, uh, Robin Kappa. We have Samantha Jolie. Welcome, Samantha. You're new. Sarah Ferreira Eikaseth, Sarah Ellett, Sarah Plumer. That's three Sarahs. Then we have a Sophia, Sophia Ramsey. You're new. Welcome, Sophia. With an F, by the way, so well done. Then we have Susie Tyler and Victoria Greer. Oh, my God, that took longer than usual. Oh, my God, there's so many of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God, thank you. Uh, I want to, before we go, I want to recommend something. At the end of the episode, I usually say, and if you listen this far, uh, usually you will hear me say, thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode. And I... I'm going to say that again, of course, because I'm always thankful that Dave Pickering <laughs> is editing this episode. But now I'm also going to just tell you that Dave has got a new podcast out and it's called Down to a Sunless Sea. And I want to read what Dave sent me uh, because I think this is right up your alley. This is not, by the way, this is not an advert. This is just me as a human being recommending the work of another human being, someone that I love and respect very much. So Down to a Sunless Sea, Dave says, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad, is a podcast about my dad and me and our relationship. It's also about death, old age, care, love, history, change, mental health, science, medicine, art, dementia, and friendship. It brings together memoir, clips from over 10 years of recordings of my father, sound design, and interviews with experts. It takes you on a journey down to a sunless sea. And it's been partially funded by the British Podcast Awards Fund and the Wellcome Trust. I mean, I am so excited to listen to this podcast. Dave does so much other stuff than just editing this, this podcast. And uh, yeah, just creates a lot of genius work. So I'm very, very excited to listen to this. And I thought it would just be right up my listeners street. Is that a saying? I think you'll like it too is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so go and listen to Down to a Sunless Sea. I assume it's everywhere where you can usually find your podcasts and go support uh, Dave Pickering on, well, everywhere. So I want to say a massive thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Mm -hmm.